recording. All right. Woohoo, pumped. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Wired Hour, only on Kalamazoo's very own 89.1 WIDR. Um, my name is Taylor West. I'll be your host for tonight. Um, most of you might recognize my voice because I'm on all of these recordings, but um, we have a cool little podcast happening at the Lewis Walker Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnic Relations. I am the current graduate assistant um, this year, and I'm super pumped to do that. Um, and we were kind of down for the count a little bit on our podcast. I know for our regular listeners, you're probably like, where have you been? Um, we were trying to build our student base, and I'll be completely transparent in that. We want to get student voices in here and everything of that sort. So if you're ever, ever interested in uh, talking with the Lewis Walker Institute, talking with some awesome people that are going to be on this call and future calls, <laughs> hopefully, um, please email um, lwire-info at wmich.edu and we will get you set up to Zoom calls. But with that being said, um, this is another episode of the Wired Hour, but we have some awesome, awesome guests, students, not so much, you know, our older community advocates and leaders out there like we've been having, but awesome students that are um, at Western doing their thing. Um, and we, our topic for tonight is going to be talking about overcoming barriers, um, system barriers as we're trying to make um, change as students in our own backyard. And I know we can all kind of touch on that. Um, so that'll be the topic of our conversation. We'll also introduce um, the organization that we have joining us tonight in our future collaborations that we'll have together. Um, but again, I'm gonna kind of just open up introductions in general right now. We'll go around um, the Zoom room um, and give um, introductions. And then we'll go into explaining kind of your organization and who you are. So we can start, we can just jump around and, and you all know, and I don't know if you all have listened to the radio before, I would assume, but like you can see that like, like in podcasts and stuff, like they'll cut each other off, not rudely or anything, but you know, we'll just, it's it's a conversation so we can go. Y'all already know me. I'll, I'll popcorn it over. I can hop on. Um, my name is Carly Walter and I'm a second year master's of social work student here at Western Michigan University. I'm also the graduate assistant for the Invisible Need Project on campus, so you'll see me at the food pantry, um, among many other places hopping around. And I'm co-president of student, Students in Action, which is some of my other members are here tonight, and we're here to have this great discussion. So anyone else want to introduce themselves? Sure. My name is Precious Bradford. I'm also a second year graduate student in the social work program, and I am a member of the Student in Action organization, and happy to be here tonight. Um, I'm Michaela. I'm an undergrad social work student as well, um, and I'm also a member of SIA. Hello, guys. My name is Gigi Stahl, I use she, her pronouns, and I am pursuing my master's in social work at Western, and I'm working out of Wisconsin right now as an equity, diversity, and inclusion program specialist for a school district, which is super awesome and exciting. My name is Kara Applegate, and I am a second year um, MSW student. At Western, I have the TFCBT concentration and trauma across lifespan, and I am also in the student action thing. Yeah. 
So I think that thing that Kara was just talking about (laughs) kind of goes back to like who we are. So we've kind of morphed over the last year as an organization. Um, And so currently we're known as Students in Action. And our whole goal is to just create a collective group of people that are interested in active social change. So, you know, whether you're a student, a professor, a community member, a clergy person, a city commissioner, whatever you may be, pretty much if you want progressive social change, we're there to talk about it, we're there to try and do it, and we're trying to make it happen. Um, And so we do this by, you know, fostering communication within our group. We hold weekly meetings where we kind of just talk about what's going on in the world, whether that's in our local community, in our individual lives, in the state, and the, you know, the national level, the world, global level. Um, There's so many different things happening all the time. I'm I'm sure we're all very aware of only a small amount of the craziness that's happening, Um, but we want to do our best to kind of digest what's happening in the world around us and see what direct action we can take to try and make the world a little bit better. Um, And so we haven't, you know, we're still just in the starting phases of being an organization and getting our crap together and figuring out who we are and how we're going to do it. But we're hoping to, you know, host some speakers on campus and have some events now that um, we can have in-person things. So we're getting there. Um, but for now, we really just like talking. <laughs> yeah, I we had the pleasure to kind of have a um, a brief interaction when you all, you know, were getting getting up and going. Dr. Cooney was like, yeah, like, let's rally some students. <laughs> um, and so I remember I was talking to Marley. Gigi was there. You know, we were all chit-chatting. Um, but now you all kind of have a, a new name. Um, and now I'm getting emails from you all. Uh, mass emails and that's dope like I love that um so I'm seeing more connection um from you all from your organization to the students. don't send us to your junk mail we're important (laughs) that's what I'm saying yeah yeah these are important pin them pin or flag them so you can keep that information but um so so just just kind of giving that brief history um originally this organization started as the social work action alliance team um and then kind of transitioned to the larger student action alliance um because as social workers are very motivated, I'm also pursuing my master's for those who don't know. Um, Social workers are very, very motivated um, to enacting system change because they realize and they see the inconsistencies within systems and societies. They're like, well, we're kind of all human. So why are we treating each other like this? So I love you all. (laughs) I was Taylor. (laughs) I'm your biggest fan. Um, And even though I can't make your meetings every, every Wednesday, I'm there in spirit. But speaking of meetings, Carly, would you like to just briefly tell our listeners what day, even though I just said Wednesday, and what time you all meet? <laughs> yeah. Um, so right now we're, re- we're meeting Wednesdays from 12.30 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. This will probably change next semester. We kind of take just like a list of when works best for people that can attend meetings and go from there each semester. And as lovely students, we have five trillion things going on at every time. So we do what we can to make it work. Um, so for now, that's where it's at. And it's on my WebEx. Um, so my WebEx is Carly, C-A-R-L-Y dot M as in Marie dot Walter, W-A-L-T-E-R at the WebEx link, whatever that might be. Um, and, and I know, Taylor, you were just talking about that listserv that we send out. So every week we have these meetings and we create an agenda for the meeting. We don't always go by that agenda. Stuff happens. People have stuff to say. And we love that. Um, and then we also usually take minutes. So what happened in the meeting? And well, in these minutes, we will usually highlight in yellow direct actions. So if you have 5 trillion things going on and you don't have time to devote, you know, to going to the meetings, to having the discussions, all of this other stuff, 
there's very tangible, quick actions that can be done a lot of the times, you know, calling your senator, uh, writing to the city commissioner, taking this survey, donating to this fund, like all these little things. We just try to help put the word out in that. Um, and so if you'd like to be added to our listserv, we officially have an email and it's so exciting. Our email is RSO as in a registered student organization dash SIA as in students in action at WMISH.edu. So we would love to have you join us or just care about what we're doing. You're so official. Look at that. Wow. I'm hype. Again, as your biggest fan, I, I am hype. Email them, show up to meetings. And even if you can't show up to meetings, I really I'm assuming that they would love to hear from you. Um, you know, if you if you if you send an email saying, hey, I, you know, I can't make your meetings, but are there any volunteer opportunities? Are there any absolutely? And I mean, even like professors and people in the community now have our emails. So they reach out and they're like, oh, we're looking for volunteers with this, or oh, do you know that this is happening? And so it's more just like an informational thing, too. It's all about being connected in times when it's really hard to be connected. Ooh, see, and I'm telling you all, social workers know how to stay connected, okay? We just always are plugging and networking, and I know Gigi can just specifically <laughs> talk on that, but I'm calling her out. Anyways, um, cool. And then I kind of a follow-up question to this just for our listeners and motivating them to get involved, you know, not, not staying in your room, but you know, trying to get involved with people. Um, are you all looking for specific members? Um, how do people get connected other than your meetings? But you obviously just said that, so you answered my question. Okay, cool. So how or what specific students are you looking for? The human kind. Right. Um, the kind that's interested in change. The kind <laughs> that's, you know, willing to help and interested in connecting and doing all the things that it takes. And I mean, you don't have to do all the things, but doing something. Wanting to make the world a better place and you're human. You're for us. And that's it. So if you're a human and you're looking to do some change, <laughs> Student Action Alliance is for you without a doubt, all confirmed, Taylor approved. Okay. Um, is there anyone else that had anything to update on Student Action Alliance? Maybe even mm-hmm. a, some projects you are working on right now, um, some interest projects, passion projects. If there's none, that's completely okay. We have some things in the works, but Ooh. nothing to showcase at this point in time. Okay, that's totally fine. <laughs> Look, brainstorming all I the can, time. I um, can highlight on some of the things we have done, though. Like, uh, yes, when I were downtown for the homeless um, and kind of knocked down, um, <clears throat> when they were kicking the homeless out of the unused land down there, we were down there protesting. Um, when uh, Carly was hosting the Homeless Coalition feedings, we, a lot of us went down there and helped um, serve food down there. Um, so we've done, um, a lot of our stuff, we have worked um, with the homelessness in Kalamazoo. So that's one of our areas of focus that we've been working on too. And that's probably one of a lot of the other things we will be working on future projects, especially with them implementing new policies. And a lot of other things are coming into work that I know Don Cooney is working on as well that we probably will be um, coordinating with it. Sweet. Carly, did you have something to say? Sorry. No, absolutely. And some of the other things that we've done, um, and I mean that we're continuously working on is um, the Afghan refugees that are coming to Southwest Michigan. We've been working with different organizations on how we can best help. So, you know, we're happy to volunteer time, what little time we might have. Um, But, you know, a lot of us are graduate students or, or at least undergraduate students, and we have skills and resources that 
we want to utilize if we can. Um, so we've really been working with organizations to try and figure out how we can best help them. So yeah, um, there's, that's, that's something in the works too. We're, we're figuring out how we, how we can best help them with our skills. So yeah. Oh, beautiful. See, mm, look at that. Just nuggets dropping on nuggets. You got people here trying to, you know, place their knowledge and their expertise and advocate or and uh, motivate you to advocate. Anyways, don't get me started. Okay, so I'm going to move into the first question um, to get our conversation rolling on obstacles to a barrier or to systemic change, system change, seeing that um, your RSO is geared towards that um, and seeing that social work is an expanding field. Um, and, and we really don't like when things are really inconsistent and unjust. Um, so with that, I kind of was thinking about the crowd that we were going to have tonight in terms of like panelists and people who are going to be a part of this discussion. I was like, oh, we're going to have social workers. So why not do some, <laughs> why not do some internal self-reflection and expand it outwards? So um, that's kind of what we're going to, that's kind of what I had in mind, but um, just reminding and thanking our listeners for tuning in to um, Kalamazoo's very own um, 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo. Um, um, just letting you know, we're going to get back into the swing of things, get right into our discussion. Um, so the first question I have for all of you is what have been some of your own experiences with um, systemic barriers, thinking about racism, sexism, classism um, in your time as a student advocate? So whether that be in your undergrad, um, previous master's programs, this current master's program, um, just, just let's just have a conversation. Let's let's open it up. I, I would encourage this to be kind of a safe space. Um, I wanna say that other students could possibly learn from your experiences and your barriers. Um, and then we'll kind of lean into how we can kind of overcame them. You can touch on them now, but we'll um, later talk about like a running list of how to overcome some system barriers. But I would, I would like to hear about some of your own personal experiences with systemic barriers, especially when you're pushing for um, active change. And we could sit in it. We could sit in it. I could also go. <laughs> I guess we could, I could. I got a lot of stories for y'all. Okay. Um. So I would say that you know, in my time as a black female at a, at a predominantly white institution, I, I would tell you that I've encountered some some barriers to change. Um, especially as my time as a student leader, I, I hopped kind of on the ground running uh, when I got to Western. I was like, I kind of don't want to stay in my room. This is gross. And so I really kind of got it. Um, in the leadership land per se with um, campus activities board and everything. And that was fine. I was getting my feet wet. Um, then I got dragged into student government and that was life-changing, but also very scary. Um, and so as vice president, you know, I'm like, oh, we can, we can make these changes. Like students can do this. Um, Cause I remember like WSA had um, created some type of scholarship for like studying abroad just with their budget. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. You know, who knew that that could spark me, but I was like, I want to develop a scholarship because why can't I? Um, but that was more complicated than it looked, obviously. Um, and collaborating with different administrators and different community leaders and different student leaders um, was crazy. Um, and kind of expanding that from vice president to president, um, I, and this is kind of following to my next question, so I won't touch much to, into this too much, but it kind of was impacting my leadership style in the sense of 
you know, we as, as social workers, we love to collaborate. We love to give different perspectives. But is there too much collaboration? Like when is when is there too much collaboration? When do you have to put your foot down? When do you have to make that executive decision? So for me, I would say like system barriers or systemic barriers is like one, seeing what's available and making sure the like your accessibility to seeing what's available is accurate. And I know for those who have took um, Dr. Cooney's like community organizing class, that's always the first step of like seeing what's already out there so you're not being repetitive and stuff like that. But I think there is an accessibility issue, especially with students um, and working in higher education and working with kind of the operations of that. I found myself running into some roadblocks, sending follow-up emails, almost on terms of harassment. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, why aren't you answering me? We are supposed to have a meeting and I have not heard from you in two weeks. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, what's too much? I always found myself kind of like teetering on that balance of like, what's too much? Um, but then it's like, I wonder how many other people are jumping through these hoops, you know, like. And I mean, this is just a small touch point on all of that, but you know, what are the implications of COVID and working remotely and those, what, how many more excuses do you have now to not respond to an email or not check your voicemail because you're not in the office? So yeah, I'm so sorry you've had to deal with that. And I'm just, I'm thinking how times have changed and if they're ever going to move back from this and who's got the accountability, who's going to, you know, whose fault, not whose fault is it, but who's going to make it better? Who's going to make it right? Who's going to, you know, you know, you know, you know. So I'm trying to think of what not to talk about when I reflect on my experience in undergrad specifically and navigating system barriers. So for some context, I did my undergrad at University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. And during that time, I worked as a program coordinator in a women's resource center. And then from that point, moved into an inclusivity director role with the student government. So I pretty much centered my entire experience around addressing system barriers. And I feel like some of the biggest challenges I had in that space was really coming to like, I don't know what word I'm looking for here, like the truth or the reality of what it means to enter spaces with my identity. So like as a queer woman of color, what does it look like for me to show up at a table of decision makers that are white men that have you know 20 plus years on me? Um, and how do I need to change the way I navigate that space to be heard? And where are my, you know, limits? Where, when am I willing to code switch in order to move, um, to move things forward? And when am I not willing to do that? And like really being intentional and strategic about how I want to navigate that space so that I didn't lose my identity in the process of creating system change. So, I mean, isn't that so hard? You have to step on toes to not hurt other people and you can't just be yourself. Right. Well, and there's so many things that you have to think about, right? Like if you're going about, you know, creating this change, you have to decide, like, is this the risk I'm willing to take? Um, and is this worth the outcome that I'm working towards? And am I going to lose relationships with people because I'm willing to code switch in this way that they feel like is inappropriate? Or am I going to lose relationships because I decided I don't want to code switch in this space, um, but then we weren't able to move something forward because I wasn't heard, you know? And all this to just try to make things better. <laughs> right. Just to exist, to create spaces for us on purpose. Have you all, thanks for sharing that, Gigi. Have you all incorpor or, um, experienced 
especially um, identifying as female or they them, but kind of presenting as female, um, especially is DJ touching on, you know, having, you know, your identity in, in a room full of white men. Have you all experienced kind of the microaggressions or um, the, I guess like, I kind of want to know how you all dealt with that. How do you all deal with the microaggressions when they're present in front of you? You know what I'm saying? Cause we have the fight, flight, freeze. I guess like, what are some tips? Cause I, I guess this is like kind of a barrier I had to really overcome with understanding my identity, how I am looked at in a room and then kind of how to overcome that. Um, not obviously being overlooked because I'm female. So if I propose an idea in the room, they'll obviously think it was my vice president being the male. So it was like, you know, like, how do you, how do you address that? How, or how, in your ex own experiences, that was just mine. How did you all address that? So I'm going to say this as a very aware, white, straight female. Um, so the microaggressions I've had are not to the extent of a lot of other people. And I, and I recognize that, but I've always been a very defensive person and I've, I've come to learn that it's um, really important for me to take a step back and not be so reactive because I'm always like, no, you're wrong. And I, <laughs> and I, in my adult years, I've come to learn that that's really not the best response and you're going to get nothing out of it. Um, so something that's personally helped me when I, when I hear something that I don't agree with and I don't appreciate I try, you know, I take that step back. I really like hear what they said, try to understand where they're coming from, even though most of the time when it's a microaggression, it's hard to understand. Um, and then just react in an appropriate and like healthy way. That's not just going to cause more microaggressions because it's just it can turn into like all like a whole chain of reaction of events. So that's a tiny, tiny tip that I've slowly learned and I don't always do in my adult life. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go off Carly on that too, because um, I think at the hardest time is not speaking on my, what's on my tongue. So um, I think um, one thing I've struggled with in those type of situations is like, sometimes you can't be truthful to people or you just can't speak on how you want to speak because like she said, it's only gonna cause more and just gonna add more fire. And so um, I think I one thing I just always had to learn is like out of this, bite my tongue and just be like there are just some people you simply cannot change their mind like they are literally they they're, they're so close-minded that you just you just simply like I don't like like you said I don't like other things like it but you're just like that's just who they are like and you're just like sometimes you just know that like I'm not gonna waste my energy on trying to help you see it from my understanding or from my shoes because you are only gonna see it the way you want to see it so I think that's one thing I had to take into accountability that was like people are just going to be who they are sometimes and I can't I'm just not going to be able to have that conversation with everybody especially if they're so close-minded so um, I just think being like okay you're just who you are I guess and I'm gonna just try my hardest not and bite my tongue and then if that person, Michaela, were to be in a position of high authority, high power with a lot of decision making, you know, positional authority, you know, and they're in a position of like closed minded and yada, yada, like, what do we do? You know, do we approach it from the case of, you know, are you uneducated and do you need a lecture right now? Or do we approach it as like, you know, we'll revisit this at another time, however, it's not done. Or do we just say, you know, or, or do we say like, I don't have time to do that to deal with this right now kind of like how do we gauge 
because I don't have the magic formula to see when Taylor will have enough energy to do A, B, or C or not to have do A, B, or C. So it's like, when do we find out when we have the time? And like you said, we don't have the formula. So it's like, you just really, I mean, like if we're in a big setting and like, um, let's say you're in a city council meeting, which I've slowly, you know what I'm saying? So like, I guess it's like a time and a place. So if I'm in a big meeting full of all people, I just know like right now, I probably can't say everything I want to say. But if I have a moment to get that person one-on-one and we can have this conversation one-on-one, I feel like we could, I'm going I'm to say what I want to say and we can get some things saying. And then if I still, on this conversation one-on-one, we still not get, we're not seeing eye to eye. At that point, I'm just like, you, you, they just simply do not want to hear me out. Like, and I, at that point, I, I don't know what to do because I don't, like you said, I don't have the form. We don't have the formula to this. So, I mean, if anybody else has one, at, at that point, I'm just like, you just, you simply do not want to hear people out. And how did you get in the seat? Oh, I don't, we don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of reasons people are sitting in places they shouldn't be sitting in. But Michaela, you just saying that I went to the city commissioner meeting, I don't know, two weeks ago or whenever it was, and the issue of the unhoused population here in Kalamazoo came up and there was a crap ton of callers. Yeah. I'm saying it was like three or four hours of people. And you could watch because we're on Zoom so we can see the city commissioner's faces and their response to these call ins and you can hear the people that are, you know, as I said earlier, being reactive and, and talking from their feelings and not with their mind. And you can see the reactions of these white male commissioners. Yeah. You can see them, they're, they're kind of their thoughts and their faces. And I mean, I'm going to guess their attitudes on the subject kind of shift when people I'm hoping I'm one of them called in and, and kind of used the more educational approach. And it's like, it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of things that go into the, the way you talk, you know, your tone, you know, how defensive you are and like all these other things, but you can just see them. So it's like, I, this is way off topic from where we, where we were started this question, but it's like to make that change, it's not being so reactive and being more educational. And, I, and it's like in the educate and on the educational part is keep pushing it and then just keep pushing it. And I mean, they may feel like you might not be hearing it, but just keep saying it as much as you can. And um, yeah, I just I feel like uh, this is one of those places where I really try and like tap into my own strengths to figure out what my boundaries are. Um, Because I feel like everything you all have already said, I agree with 100%. Like the time and place is so important. Like there's moments where like I've been sitting at a Senate table or in where I use that point of information card so many times to just come correct at people. (laughs) Uh, But that's not always like the place, right? So, and I know like that's more performative. So that's more like demonstrating that this is the line that I'm going to hold than it actually is teaching that person who I'm correcting Um, And if I don't circle back around with them, they're just going to learn that like shame reaction. Right. Um, So knowing that time and place, I think is a huge piece. And like from that, I feel like I really try and focus on like, what is my circle of influence and like, who can I actually impact? And then how can I build my team strategically around me? Like if I know this person isn't going to hear me because of what I look like and who I represent, um, that's cool. I have a friend who looks like someone who you want to listen to. So you know, I can give them the message and they can come. <laughs> and that's and that's what it is. It is having those allies. Like when you have allies that you like, all right, I know like you said, I know somebody that looks like you that think but thinks like me. So let's let's just figure this out. And that's I like I like how you said that. That was nice. Right. And it, it just makes all the difference. And sometimes that's the really frustrating part, because then you just go home at the end of the day and you're like, man, like 
they said the exact same thing that I was going to say, but you wouldn't hear me. But they were able to get it across because they didn't look just, and that's, and that's the, that's the worst part about it is when you, when you say things and then somebody else says the same thing and it's like, I, why didn't, why can't it come to my voice? Why can't it come from my voice? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, why can't it come from me? Like, why doesn't it matter for me when I'm actually living in these shoes? Like, when it's truly affecting me, mm-hmm. it's so hard about it. But somebody that looks like you are is defending what I'm going through, and it's like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. Like, why does it not matter when it's coming from me and I'm the one that's going through it? Like, this is affecting me. Like, and it, it hurts. And like you said, you go home and you deflect, and you're just like, what? Mm-hmm. A bunch of bad words. Like, <laughs> I just. Gigi, I like I'm gonna kind of piggyback off of what you were saying a little bit about kind of um, self-reflecting, knowing your own boundaries to then know how to kind of like, I don't want to say attack, but like to know how to strategically approach the situation. Um, so with that comes to my second question. Also just plugging, thank you for our listeners to tuning in to uh, Western's very own 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo. We are heading into our second question with our uh, Students in Action Alliance squad in this awesome collaboration we have. Um, But our second question that we have right now on the table is, how does overcoming your personal barriers help overcome your effort for system change? Michaela, I see. I see the the tables turning. <laughs> I'm gonna. Re- I, was, I wanted you to read. You cut out for a minute, and so I'm like, I wanted to make sure I heard what you said. It's gonna read. I got you. I'm gonna repeat. It. I got you. How does overcoming your personal barriers help overcome your effort for system change? I guess I kind of want to go off of like, from just like you said, our personal experience, I just think that seeing it firsthand, um, I think like a lot of the things I indulge myself into when it comes to like volunteer work or work as a social worker, um, I related a lot to my personal experiences. And um, especially because I've, I've gone, I've, I feel like I've gone through a certain amount of things in just 23 years of my life to be able to um, connect that back to my personal experience. So um, I just think like, I'm sorry, I just, my whole point just flew, but. Um, Taylor, can you repeat the question for me once more? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you. How does over, this is a, cause it's a loaded question. I'm gonna tell you why I added it, <laughs> but how does overcoming your personal barriers help overcome your effort to system change? Yeah, when I heard that the first time, I'm like, like in so many ways, (laughs) (laughs) like in so many ways, like, and like the most, the easiest thing that I can think to say is just like, we have to practice what we preach. And that's the bottom line. It's like, we want to help people fix themselves or we want to make sure that other people are treating people a specific type of way. We need to make sure that we are displaying those same behaviors and working on ourselves is equally as hard as we want other people to work on themselves or make change or, you know. So I think 
Um, like when we going out and telling people, you know, to, you know, op- like open your eyes and see what's going on. You know, we got all these homeless people out here, yada, yada, yada. Um, I know for myself, it's like, sometimes there's somebody right next door, you know, that I know is struggling with something, but I'm not, I'm not focusing on that because like, that's right here. I know those people, she's fine, you know, and we don't always, for me anyway, I don't, sometimes, you know, we go for the bigger things or, um, and not even a situation like that, just in general, like make sure that we are practicing what we preach in all aspects. So that's what I was thinking. Thanks, Carly. <laughs> um, I feel like there's a couple things that came up for me when you first asked this question. Um, I think the first one is just building empathy for like overcoming change and powering through struggle. Um, I think that's a big piece that I remember now is like when I'm trying to support people in or empower them to join my movement or get in the work with me, remembering how hard it can be to take that first step and having to take that first step on my own first, I think is a really important part of really learning how to create system change. And I think that other part in it, in overcoming personal barriers is just coming into my own power and recognizing like, what is it that I want to do and what is it that I'm capable of doing? And what is the responsibility that I have to engage in justice uh, based off of the power and access that I have? And I think like, especially now that I've moved into like a capital A administrator role, um, when I spent most of my time in school, like combating with administrators, um, it's really like, now that I hold this position of power and influence, how am I going to hold myself accountable and set up systems to do the same, um, to make sure that I'm, you know, living up to the, to the expectations or, you know, the things that I would want other people to do. So really being able to have that journey for myself first, I think plays a big role in how I continue to live it out and then how I can hold myself accountable and hold others around me accountable in similar ways. I think what you said um, about, you know, that first step, it's, it's such a big thing because I think back and, you know, I'm from a small town. There's a lot of things you see on social media and a lot of things I disagree with and all sorts of things like that. But it's so funny because a lot of things I can point out of time where I'm like, oh, like that was the mindset I had. And I, I always, you know, like I wanted to be involved in change and all this other stuff, but I didn't know how. And it can be so daunting because, you know, when you're in a group like or in a room or you go to a discussion or you go to a conference or you you watch a video and it seems like people know everything. And it's scary because it's like I want to help and I want to be involved, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I just, I want to help, but it can be scary. So I think taking that first step is a really huge part, Gigi. So thanks for pointing that out. And and the other thing that goes with it is everyone that's in these spaces is here to help. And, you know, it's all about learning and connecting and all these other things. So you shouldn't be scared, but you are, and I was, and we all are. And Well, I can't speak for everybody, but yeah. I just want to touch on that, Carly, because I think that's one thing I've um, <clears throat> still been an undergrad. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> And um, like when we <clears throat> when we come to our meetings, like in SIA, I um, there's a lot of graduate students in there, and so like I'm always just like, okay, they got a little bit more experience than me. They already did the field work. They already did all this. They're like, 
So I just, I think I'm just always, my thing is I'm always overthinking the thing like, oh, like I, if I say this, this is wrong and this is always wrong. And that's all, I, I'm always scared I'm going to say the wrong thing, but I had to learn to be just my authentic self completely. And if people either going to like it or love it or hate it or not like it, I don't know, but but we're all just we're all just those humans yeah that's what i'm like i had to realize <laughs> that like i mean we grow and we learn every day and so implementing that into my daily life too like what i thought about tomorrow one opinion my opinion can change the next day and so just being that that open-mindedness and knowing that we all grow and learn i love that the other part that like really popped up when taylor first asked this question and then kind of just circled again with you all talking is um like this idea of overcoming my personal barriers, like I've overcome some of them for now, right? Like it is a constant journey. And I think being real about that process also keeps me resilient and engaging in system change. Because if I, as this like one individual person have to continue to overcome like a same barrier, or, you know, I keep coming back into contact with something I thought I'd push through, like systems are going to reflect that as well, right? So it, it helps me to stay resilient in that work and stay realistic about my expectations. Um, and then when I'm doing really well, give myself grace in those moments, um, or be able to remind others who are doing the work with me to do that. And I think that part's pretty cool and important. And it's not about like, well, I'm just fearless and like super courageous all of the time. It's like, well, I figured out how to take my fear with me and do the work anyway scared as heck girl you just said that okay the amount of times i'm like my heart's beating out of my ears you know and i'm like going to give like a board of trustees speech and i'm getting ready to like drop bombs i'm like let's just do it and then like three minutes what was i about to pass out about who knew you know what i'm saying it's like leaning into that like i i guess I don't know how everyone would react to that, but I do challenge you all to like, kind of like lean into that uncomfortability and see what happens. Like you can, you can have the anxiety. You can, you can do the what ifs, but like, just run with it. See what happens. Let's connect after, <laughs> you know, and, instead of just anticipating what's going to happen, if you were to stand up, if you were to speak out, if you were to be heroic, if you were to whatever, like if, if you think it's, I, and I'll, I'll let other people talk. I'm not ramble forever, but, um, um, did anyone else want to touch on this question? Say what you got to say. Because <laughs> look, I got like three more questions. Y'all are touching. Well, Gigi, that's what we're here for. So say what you got to say. Gigi keeps stealing all my all my questions, man. Cheap whooping them in and resilience and all that. But the reason I wanted to bring up this question was um, I have Dee Sherwood for one of my classes. She's awesome. Um, and she had us think about... Um, is it necessary for social workers to engage in self-therapy before, you know, engaging with clients? Like, do you, is it, what, should it be mandatory? Should it be mandatory for, for um, social workers to go through self-therapy in order to better help their clients? What do you all think? <laughs> I see Carly getting ready to go. Uh, do I want to talk? Okay. Can we clarify what self-therapy is? Does that mean doing therapy on yourself or does that mean you yourself going to therapy? with? Your, yeah. Yourself going to therapy, engaging with a counselor or a therapist, personal quick therapist. Um, the first thing I, I just thought say, of, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Michaela. Was that you? Um, I was just like, when you asked that, all I could, all I could think is about hurt people, hurt people. And so, um, even as even as as professionals, like we we have our own biased opinions. Like we we don't even realize it sometimes that we 
we have a we all like we talk about it all the time as social workers that we all have opinions and bias opinions that we don't we have to work on every day and so I think um personally I think that personally I yeah I just feel like I think we should take those accountabilities because a lot of us came from things that I'm not saying that we all did but like we've seen things we come from things that we don't even know and we're working with all different types of people and social work it can be you hear you can burn we get burnt out like you hear it all the time like especially when there's so many people that's like not working and people are having heavy case so being able to take care of yourself is also going to be able to help you take care of other people as well so I think personally like I think if you need it if you feel like you could I, why not do it like there's not there's no harm in doing it and there's no foul so taking that measure to make sure yourself is okay after working in such a job that could be emotionally draining some days Yeah, I think that's, I feel like it's one of those things that should be highly recommended. Um, the word mandatory kind of makes me think of the clients that I do work with that are forced to come to therapy um, and how guarded that already makes them. And so forcing anyone to do anything <laughs> is hard. Um, but I think with our educational background and in our classes that we have um, to get to that point um, in our careers to be social workers um, should be highly recommended. Um, not even just for dealing with our past and making sure that that doesn't you know, that stays at the door, but also working through those days that are hard, that, um, you know, that counter-transference that we get. And, um, you know, you might not have a very complicated traumatic past. Um, you might, but you also might be working with a client who has a very complicated and traumatic past. And, um, so making sure that you can be present with them. It's really important. Yeah, I hear all of that. And I think, I mean, I agree with all of you. And I'm also saying this is someone that's never been to therapy. So I'm just going to whisper this. Um, I think what some of the first steps, you know, and this isn't just social workers, it's all clinicians, mental health, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever you want to go with. I think the first step, which for me, this is again, talking about my personal experience, has been, if you have a good supervisor, supervision is going to be that stepping stone or possibly faux, like faux fake therapy. That's, I've used that as a piece for me. Um, that's kind of been that stepping stone. But if you have a good supervisor, you're going to go over a lot of those things, um, especially with your clients in relation to how you're feeling. So this brings up another point on how important good supervision is, because I haven't had the greatest supervision for a lot of different reasons. And seeing, you know, as, as learning therapists and beginning social workers and all of these other things, having that good foundation really sets the tone for our entire career, right? So if we don't have that sounding board and we don't have that person to kind of guide us and, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the effects of therapy and supervision. I'm feeling like, I see what you're doing. I'm using that technique. Okay. Settle down. Um, so yeah, supervision is a good, good beginning point for that too. I would say to, I guess, individuals who are kind of thinking now, just based off this conversation, like, man, now I need to go to therapy. Not necessarily. 
necessarily, not necessarily. Um, it's we're more so just discussing about having that supportive network that kind of um, however you want to describe it in terms of a mentoring, just a opportunity to exchange to exchange and develop ideas and kind of um, progress and press on that growth mindset instead of that fixed mindset getting you out of your comfort zone. Um, so that you can see in different perspectives. And I'm loving this conversation because I know we can talk about overcoming our personal barriers, but I wanted to let you know why I added that question in there because I was with you, Kara. I uplifted mandatory. Um, <laughs> I don't think people are going to show up if it's mandatory. You know what I'm saying? Same thing when the pandemic was raging, the universities, you know, developing all these new policies and COVID restrictions and um, WSA had the opportunity to work with um, student affairs on the mask mandate. And it was like, just even figuring that out, like, you know, mandatory mask and how people were going to react to that, what type of masks are appropriate, you know, applying all those pressures. And then even vaccinations, then vaccines came on the scene, you know, getting asked by administrators, you know, should we make vaccinations mandatory or else students can't come back to, you know, campus. And that was the conversations across the board for universities. But being asked that a student body president, like me and my vice president looked at each other like, yeah, you can't make vaccines mandatory, girl. We're finna, that would be crazy. Oh my God, I couldn't even imagine that. But um, so that's, I just wanted to like add that question in there. But I do, Precious, I saw you were unmuted. Did you want to mention something? I didn't want to cut you off. <laughs> yeah, I did want to touch on that therapy piece um, as a person who has been in the field for some capacity for about 13 years. I sort of kind of feel like it should not be mandatory because we don't like to make people do stuff, but definitely, most definitely, um, highly recommended and even offered in every company organization. Because um, <clears throat> personally for me, when I came in, I was one of those um, yeah, I'm strong-minded and I'm never going to, you know, break down and all of this stuff. Like, I got this, you know, I came up in the hood and I've been here and I've done that. Like, none of this stuff is going to break me down, yada, yada, yada. And um, yeah, strong old tough skin me ended up leaving uh, for a month on stress leave prior to taking a whole year off of not working in the field at all. And it's like, if you become a social worker, you are going to be moved. You are absolutely 100% going to deal with people who are going through things that you couldn't imagine. Like you couldn't fathom it. You don't wanna say it out loud. You will work with those people as a social worker, no matter what which position you're in, you know, which department you go to, hospitals, hotels, schools, wherever you go, if you decide to be a social worker, you will come into these situations and you're going to work with these people a lot of times. Supervision is great. I'm glad that Carly said that because um, supervision is great. If you have a good supervisor, if you have a good supervisor, um, supervision is great. Um, we all, we know in social work, there's not always a lot of time for supervisors to sit down and hash out things with employees. Um, I mean, think about DHS, you know, DCS, those type of state organizations where it's hundreds and thousands of cases. Um, could you even think about a supervisor having the time to take an hour out of their day to, you know, 
talk to employees, not to say that they all don't, but it's, it's kind of hard to do uh, when you think about it um, on that platform or, you know, in those sorts of organizations. Um, and then there's oftentimes where, you know, what we talked about earlier, um, for me specifically, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of fire behind, you know, how I felt and what drived me. And um, in a lot of in a lot of these positions, you won't be able to express that because um, the people who are above you may be those people that, you know, you got to turn the blind eye to or you got to turn the you know, you, you have to be the bigger person. We was just talking about that. Like, you know, what do you do when, you know, some of these things happen and it's like, well, we got to be quiet and close our mouths or um, I got to be the better, bigger person. But what if that turns out to be your supervisor at your job and you, you know, you got to be the bigger person because they may be, you know, ignorant or they, you know, may do some of the things that we know shouldn't be happening. So for me, that therapy thing, that therapy piece is, is huge. And I think any person who decides that they want to do this type of work should consider it. And all organizations who have social workers should have it as an option. Thank you for sharing that, that was awesome. Like, I really like what you talked about and how, and how a lot of you talked about this, that maybe it, the mandatory part makes people feel some type of way. Um, but I think about it, like if this was a requirement for like professional development, so you have the choice of when to engage in this, but it has to happen at some point um, to kind of meet that requirement to continue with your licensing or whatever. Um, and I think like being strategic about how to engage in that, because I don't know um, about anybody else's experience, but I've definitely been and therapy where it was a bad fit. Um, so like, I think the argument I always try and make is that I think everybody needs spaces that they can heal. Um, and for some people that is therapy, for some people that is like with their supervisor, some people that they have really good community care, but you need that strategic purposeful engagement in healing, whatever that looks like for you. And therapy can be a really great place for that to happen. Um, and like when I finally found a therapist that knew what was up, like there was nothing that could replace that, you know, like that was such a great environment and provided a lot of support for me. And I play a big role in the, the macro side of social work. And I think um, like we know that policy reflects values. So if I don't value care and like self-care and healing, I'm not going to create social policy that supports that. So if I want to promote a community where love is possible and sustainable, I have to show up that way for myself and really live into those values. So I think like to really create the world I want to see, I have to show up for myself um, and be able to cre create that environment and like really live into those values so that I can then hold them up in the policies I want to create in those you know environments in that macro space as well. And also kind of just um, looping that all together, Something that you made me think of precious is, um, and that, you know, kind of like self-therapy piece, like especially in being um, human service workers, you know, you're working with these clients who have all of these different backgrounds and all these different experiences and all of these different traumas. And at some point you're kind of confronted with your own traumas and your own baggage because um, you're listening to different stories and you're like, well, I didn't know that that would trigger me in that way. So it's like, you know, and, and then you're kind of confronted with yourself of, okay, now what do we do? Um, so that's that's kind of what that made me think about a little bit. And then I also wanted to touch on 
um, in this kind of realm of human service workers, in this realm of student leader land, in this realm of administrative like works and influencing others, mentoring all of that pizzazz and kind of creating system change and influencing others. How do we respond? And this will kind of be our last question, kind of like wrapping up. How do we respond to barriers that we don't engage with with ourselves? So if we don't have personal um, connections with that barrier, how are we supposed to know how to um, navigate someone to overcome that barrier? How are we supposed to motivate them? Um, and how is this perspective important as leaders in an RSL geared towards change? So Carly, at the beginning, you know, you were in, you look at first one unmuted. Carly was at the beginning talking about, you know, being very transparent, you know, being a white female and, you know, not being privy to a lot. And it's like, because she doesn't have to. And so it's like, how do you, mm -hmm. and I guess Carly, like, I'd love to hear like, has kind of some ways that you kind of jump out of your comfort zone in that um, transparent aspect that you shared with us earlier and kind of like, how do you connect with barriers that you don't confront with yourself? Yeah, I think this kind of goes in, in like a lot of pieces of my life. My motto, you know, I've learned in school and I've, I preach it in my sessions is people are the expert of their own lives. So I don't, I don't make, I don't want to make assumptions. I don't, I don't know more about what's happening on this issue than you do. I may know like different pieces or I may think I know different pieces or I may have opinions for all of these other things, but I don't know. Uh, I'm just one person and there's a whole world out there. So something that I think is so important is to just sit back and listen, like, okay, tell me what's going on. Let's what, like, what do you have to say? Because I don't, I'm not always right. I may think I'm right, but I'm not. So just listening is such a critical tool here. I love how you talked about like just not knowing what other people's experiences are and making space to really discover what's possible or really what else could be true. One of my favorite things that I use at the beginnings of trainings when I'm setting community guidelines is to counter judgment with wonder. Um, and I really value play. That's one of the things I like the most about the human experience is play across the lifespan. And I think a lot of times like as we grow up, this idea of like play starts to become like bad or taboo, um, but really like inviting ourselves to purposefully engage in wonder and lean into our imagination, I think is a great empathy tool when we're trying to understand like how a barrier might exist that we haven't had experience with or why somebody might not be seeing a barrier that like I'm hitting my head on every single day um, and really just, you know, wondering like what else could be true here? And if they believe that this barrier doesn't exist, what is that story that they're telling themselves where that is true? And why are they telling themselves that story? You know, what, what is their lived experience that's taught them that this barrier doesn't exist? And how can I, you know, find some space to get in there and maybe shift some perspective or, you know, encourage someone to see a light from a different space? That's something that I feel like I encounter in my role um, now, like working in equity work uh, with a lot of white folks. Um, and really having some conversations strategically there and being like, okay, what are the whisks, the risks, <laughs> this is not baking, what are the risks um, you're willing to take? Um, and how can you be strategic about that? Because you don't always have to be invested in this work. That's a choice you have to make. You don't have to engage in social change. Uh, is that the risk you're willing to take? And if it is, do it on purpose. Um, and that's fine. Uh, I can respect you if you're going to do it on purpose. But if you're not trying to do that on purpose, then I have some ideas and we can move forward on that together, but I'm going to need you to step in line.
cool. Actually, I lied. I don't have that was the final question. One more question <laughs> that I kind of want to get from you all. Sorry, sorry. And this is how we'll wrap up. So, and this is just kind of like tying in our whole conversation about different backgrounds, different levels of resiliency, different, different, different. Okay. But we're all trying to come together to create system change. How, <laughs> how do we do that? Okay. Um, in the terms of, of, I guess, in solutions. So um, from Michaela, I heard finding like-minded people, finding people who are like, oh, all right, I'm on that train with you, and I want to I want to be together on that. Um, finding different skill sets, what Gigi said, like who is good at this, who is good at that, how can we collaborate together? From what we learned from Dr. Cooney, like looking at what's what's already there, looking like what's already out there, what can we build on top of, what we can, what can we collaborate um, and kind of synergize to make better? But kind of what other tips do you all have for students that are listening to overcoming barriers to change? Student leaders that are on campus see injustices, see inconsistencies, and want to make a change but don't know where to start um, or are running into a bunch of barriers. Um, I'm hearing leaning on supervisors, leaning on mentors. I'm hearing join, join Student in Action Alliance. Awesome. Yes, I'm hearing that. And you already know where how to get in contact with that. Um, but is there anything else we missed? I'm just, again, um, active listening back to you all, hearing what I heard throughout this conversation. And don't you start with me, Gigi. Um, is there any other tips that we missed? It's little nuggets for, for the crew that's listening, ready to tackle the world. I think there needs to be more hours in the day. So if anyone can Ooh. possibly do that, adding more hours of the day and creating time. It's like establishing your boundaries of time and when you're going to work on things. So making sure that you prioritize social change is a huge thing. You know, you can't add more hours to a day unless it was this past Sunday when you could add one hour to your day. Um, yeah. Figuring out, oh, sorry, Gigi. Um, yeah. So figuring out how to prioritize your time and making sure that you put time aside to, to focus on this, even though it might just seem like one little thing, it can have really large impacts. That was beautiful. Does anyone else have any other nuggets, last minute thoughts? Don't forget to be a decent human every day of your life, honestly. Oh. To be honest with who you are and be your most authentic self. I think Taylor, you did a good job of like reflecting back some of what I said earlier, but really like figuring out what what is the problem that you want to solve and what are the tools that you have to offer to solve that problem. Um, and like really put setting yourself up for success in this work. Um, and knowing that like you can't do everything and you can't be everything to everybody. And that doesn't make you less, that doesn't make you incapable of doing this work. It means that there's a lot of people on this earth for a reason, and it'd probably be of use to team up with them to really get into this work together. So once you can figure out what you have to offer and what problems you want to solve, there's really nothing else that can get in your way. You know, you, you've got the tools, you figured out what you're going to move towards. And you just have to kind of set off in that direction um, and find, you know, time in the movement to take care of yourself, to have some fun, to celebrate your wins um, and really just enjoy that time. I think Don Cooney talked about this a lot in his classes, but really focusing on issues and not people um, can be really, really important. When in my undergrad experience, I organized a lot and did some pretty big protesting and sit-ins. 
Um, and in that time, like it was a, you could say like I was very, I was contesting my administrators strongly. <laughs> um, but even still to this day, like I, I've maintained like a working relationship with those folks because I didn't go after them as individuals. I went after their practice. Um, and so it allowed for us to really navigate that movement successfully in a way that was easier for me to navigate because I wasn't worried about attacking people, um, but I was focusing on issues and it, it, it allowed me to kind of navigate a space in a way that was successful long term um, so that I could continue doing that work with people who continue to occupy positions of power. That's all. I would say educate yourself. Um, so for me, like the more educated I became on topics that I was interested in, the more confident I was on sharing my opinion, sharing my views um, and speaking up to those who I might not speak up towards um, when I was educated about it and when I could really say the facts and be informed. Um, you know, I, I don't believe ignorance is bliss. Uh, I think that all the topics that we have kind of touched on today are very important and we need to educate ourselves more on each one of them. Beautiful, then I am going to, for that, that's a wrap. Um, so thanks for everyone. Thanks to all of our listeners, dedicated listeners for tuning in um, to our first collaborative podcast. Um, with uh, Students in Action Alliance um, RSO um, and in collaboration with uh, Western's very own 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo. Um, and we hope to see you all not next week, but um, the week after for more riveting content with our awesome students. Woohoo! Um, take away, you know, what you what you gained from this and maybe take away what you didn't. That's fine. Um, but we hope that uh, we have more students join us and talk about some issues that are uh, impacting our community. But we will see you all soon.